InvestTalk listeners ask Steve and Justin what they use for their winning investment research. And the answer is YCharts, quality data with easy-to-use tools. Start your free trial now at YCharts.com. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Welcome to Invest Talk. Thanks for joining us today and welcome to October. Yep, it's already October, which also means the start of the fourth quarter of the year. I'm Justin Klein and our focus on this program today is you, your investments, and your continuing education on how to become an above average investor. So hopefully today, I will provide you with some unbiased comments and analysis on the things that are on your mind. And of course, in order for me to understand what is on your mind, I encourage you to participate. So call our anytime listener line at 888-99-CHART. That's 888-992-4278. You can get your call in live, 4 to 5 Pacific time. Ask your question to me then right now, live, or you can leave a message after hours, and we'll answer that question on the next show. Now, the market opened this morning with a strong rally, but faded into the close, and this was on the back of the White House announcement of a formation of a new trade deal between the U.S., Mexico, and Canada, and it is now being called the very innovative name of the U.S.-Mexico-Canada Agreement. So it was a last-minute deal to update the trilateral trade agreement called NAFTA, and the USMCA replaces that deal. Now, how big of a deal that is will probably depend on what industry you're talking about, uh, whether it's short-term or long-term, because there certainly will be effects both positively and negatively, uh, both short-term and long-term. Now, in other market news, GE has booted out its chairman and CEO, John Flannery, after a little more than a year on the job as profits have declined, cash flows have uh, declined, and there are problems there. And investors are now also cheering the Tesla's deal with the SAC that keeps Elon Musk as CEO, uh, although doesn't nearly solve any anywhere close to all their problems, but it's uh, one small thing behind them. Now, in healthcare news, there are changes coming for those who may want to save money and take a chance with low-cost health insurance policies. So the costs will be more affordable, and there's a greater risk for people who have conditions or health problems that aren't covered. So I'll look into all of these topics in a few minutes. But first, let's go to a question that came in earlier on our Anytime Listener line at 888-99-CHART. I wanted to ask Steve about Tesla, T-S-L-A. I'm long on Tesla. I have 500 shares at 292. I wanted to see his opinion about Tesla. Thank you. Run, sell, sell now, sell in the early markets. It's Tesla is going bankrupt. I don't know what this. All these shenanigans are just a a precursor to what is inevitable. 
The Tesla is a structurally bankrupt company. Its balance sheet is a mess. Its demand is starting to slow after all the backlog has been filled. Uh, they couldn't be, they're not even profitable in the third quarter when they promised to be, uh, even when they're selling the highest va value cars they possibly can sell, uh, or at least the Model 3s anyway. Uh, so it's just a company that is horribly managed in every sense of the word. And it's backed by a charlatan and a fraud named Elon Musk who knows how to raise capital and sell people on grandiose ideas. I, I guess I'll stop there. Uh, so yes, uh, we are short the company. We've been short from uh, levels much higher than it is even trading today after the jump of $46 a share uh, on the settlement. And we remain extremely bearish on the company and it's going to go bankrupt just a matter of when, not really if. And when that happens, the stock will be worth a big fat zero. So no, sell right now, <laughs> please, I beg you, it's pretty bad, really bad. Now, if you've been looking for a cheaper health insurance, a whole host of new options will hit the market starting tomorrow. We found this story on NPR.com, but there is a warning. If you get sick, the new plans, known as short-term limited duration insurance, may not pay for the medical care you need. Now, short-term health insurance plans aren't entirely new. But the Obama, and the Obama administration issued regulations that limited them to just three months and that they couldn't be renewed. Well, the Trump administration is changing that. Now people in some states will be able to buy policies that last a year and consumers can renew them twice for a total of three-year coverage. So the White House has said the Affordable Care Act insurance is too expensive for some people. And the new changes now provide a way to buy a less expensive health insurance policy. Now, the average monthly premium for a benchmark Affordable Care Act policy was $481 this year, monthly, according to Kaiser. Now, the most, but most people don't pay that much. 83% of people who bought a plan during the open enrollment period of 2018 qualified for subsidies from the government to help lower that cost. So while the average cost is higher, there are some subsidies that many people did qualify for. Now, depending where you live, short-term plans vary widely. From Massachusetts and Rhode Island require extensive coverage, even for short-term policies. Uh, whereas Maryland and Vermont pass laws to keep them limited in duration. Other states like California and New York effectively don't allow them at all. So it depends on your state. So if you're considering one of these new low-cost plans, there are a few things to keep in mind. Once again, regulated by each state so that you don't have to comply with the consumer protections laid out by the Affordable Care Act, meaning they don't have to include benefits like maternity coverage, mental health care, etc., which I always think was a little crazy that you had to be covered for certain things like that. Uh, like if you're a male, why do you need to be covered for maternity, right? Now, if you have any questions about insurance plans, their cost, potential impact on your investment portfolio, I encourage you to reach out to myself. Steve, Steve is an insurance expert. He was in the industry for 20 plus years. And if you want, you can call our Dana Point office as well. So we're ready to help you. We can offer you investment strategies that can both more help you be more secure and more profitable. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. I want to take a moment to welcome YCharts as an Invest Talk sponsor. 
podcast listeners were here, Steve and I endorse YCharts because we find it a valuable research, data filter, and charting tool. In fact, we use YCharts every day in our management of client assets. And now the phones are open for you at 888-99-CHART. Thanks for listening to Invest Talk. Welcome to October. Here's a constructive idea. If you can find a few minutes to invest in learning how to improve your portfolio's performance, head over to investtalk.com. Read about the many strategic investing programs offered to clients of KPP Financial. And while you're there, be sure to take the Riskalyze Risk Questionnaire. Now, Justin's here. The phone lines are open, and he's taking your questions. 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Evan in Boston. You want to talk about military investments? Uh, yeah, Justin. I had a, I had a question for more of like a strategy for uh, military members since we have a TSP. Okay. Now I don't I don't know how familiar you are with a thrift savings plan or not, but how my uh, question yeah, very is familiar, how it works yes. is. What's that? I'm very familiar. Yes, I am. Okay, so I'm currently in my late twenties, and. I've had plenty of time in the military now while I'm able to, you know, put away a little bit of uh, cash on the side. And I also have a brokerage account and a IRA. Now, with the TSP, you know, we're authorized up to around 16000 I believe, a year before um, that's the cap of investment. Now, my question is, should I be trying to maximize my contributions to a TSP before my brokerage or my IRAs because of the fees are so low and the fact that it's managed, I think, by uh, BlackRock, and it just seems like a good deal. I know most government workers get the same um, compensation, but I just wasn't sure what avenue or how much percentage-wise I should be floating around between brokerage, IRA, and a TSP. Now, you, you don't get a match or anything with your TSP, right? It's just purely your contributions. That's correct. So they just changed the retirement system from legacy retirement to a blended, but I opt into the legacy, so there's no match for contribution. Gotcha. Okay, then what I would do is I would stick with maximizing your IRA first, and mainly because you have more flexibility there. Uh, You could still stay in low-fee funds, right? You can buy mutual funds, ETFs, et cetera, if that's the route you want to go. But you have more flexibility. You could buy individual stocks. You could buy bonds. uh, You could buy a a litany of different uh, investments in that particular uh, type of account, right? An IRA account with a brokerage firm. Whereas your TSP, you're going to be limited to, limited to the G fund and the I fund and the S fund, et cetera. And that's right. all you can, can really do. Uh, so I don't like that lack of, of flexibility. Uh, so I would maximize your IRA and max that out and then add to your uh, TSP from there. Okay. Now on the TSP, do you see um, the different funds? Do you recommend a certain fund right now I should be, or do you think the life cycle is fine for the TSP, you know, or uh, should the what? majority? Um, 
you know, I'm not a big fan of the life cycle fund. Um, what what I would recommend is our active 401k uh, program, which is uh, works with TSPs. So it will give you quarterly recommendations and mixes of how to allocate your TSP. Uh, that's the way I would go uh, because you'll you'll have a more dynamic uh, approach than just kind of uh, leaving it, and it'll likely outperform uh, over the long term. Right. All right. Well, thank you. I appreciate your help uh, this evening. Thanks for calling, Evan. Now, today's featured talking point, one expert has said that since the price of oil is far outperforming the price of gold, the bull market will continue. We're going to examine that theory coming up. Now, some of the other topics I have on the schedule for today are a sidecar plan. This is, I think, a very interesting and good idea, and it is an innovative way and I think a very positively innovative way because there's not a lot of great financial innovations that uh, we've seen over the past 30 years uh, but I think this could be a big one and basically it's a savings plan attached to your 401k so we're going to talk about that also want to get in the difference between junk bonds and leverage loans this is very important, and, and it doesn't sound that exciting, but people who are reaching for yield uh, many times are looking for leveraged loans or they're worried about uh, the value of or the value of their bonds or fixed income holdings when interest rates rise and are attracted to uh, floating rate instruments like leveraged loans. So I'm going to talk about the difference, what the risks are as well. And then lastly, how changing the way we pay for healthcare could save money and lives. Cutting out the middleman, right, from dealing with pharmacy benefit management companies and health insurers, etc. Uh, if we can eliminate some of them, it might lower our cost of healthcare and improve the healthcare that we get as well. So we're going to talk about those ideas because I do think the healthcare system does need some dramatic overhaul, and there's some good ideas that maybe will help our country long term. So that's what's on my mind, but ultimately I need to hear from you. We are about 15 minutes into the show, which means we have about another 40 minutes left, 35 minutes left of the show for you to get your call in. Right? So I want to hear from you. I don't know what's on your mind. I can talk about whatever whatever the hell I want to talk about <laughs> during this hour. Uh, but ultimately, I care mo most about what is on your mind. What are the topics? And I want to hear from you. So now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and I thank you for joining us here today. And if you can find a minute to subscribe to the Invest Talk, po Invest Talk podcast at iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify, and it would help us raise the visibility of our program. The KPP Premium Newsletter packs a lot of market news, process explanations, and even stock ideas into a concise summary every Friday. You can subscribe at investtalk.com. It's a great value and a must-have for above-average investors. You are listening to InvestTalk. Have you got a question for Justin? He's here, and the lines are open. 888-99-CHART. Now today's main talking point is one expert has said that since the price of oil is far outperforming that of gold, the bull market will continue. We'll examine his theory 
that commodity price indicates new highs for the S&P. Now, if you're watching on our YouTube live stream, you will see the article that I have up, and it is an analyst from Oppenheimer, and he is saying that the price of oil is far up from gold, and it's detailed in the, in the table. Year-to-date prices, oil is up 19.2%. Gold is down 8.5%. Well, why is that? Well, the standard argument would be that oil is more economically sensitive. And the fact that it's outpacing gold means that people are rushing into the riskier areas of the market and away from the safe havens, which in of itself uh, tends to be bullish. But you also have, to look, also have to look at the supply and demand dynamics of oil. Uh, OPEC and its key allies led by Russia recently announced that they will adhere to their production quotas that they set at the beginning of 2017, but increase output slowly in basically saying that the oversupply that we saw in 2016 or so is gone. And that is one of the reasons why prices have continued to rise in the oil market. So with any commodity, you always have to understand that there is supply, there are supply and demand dynamics playing out for each one of them. Right? Commodities in general tend to rise and fall mainly based on the dollar's move. However, every market, every commodities market has its own supply and demand dynamics. And clearly, the reduction in supply by the OPEC nations has reduced that output, that, that glut. The low output growth by the shale producers here in the United States has also increased the stock price, or the, the not the stock price, but the price of oil, and that has been a big issue. Now, does that tell me in and of itself that markets are going to new highs? I'm going to say no. Uh, is it one factor? Sure. But it's not enough to convince me that we're going to reach 3,000, I'm sorry, on the S&P. And one of the big reasons is just looking at the chart. We have started to break down uh, the IWM and the MDY, which is the small cap and the mid cap indexes, they both have started to break down. And you saw a big down day in the Russell today. You had you know, the Russell had a, a large reversal. I'm trying to bring up the IWM and see what the, the actual drop was today. I believe it was, yeah, one and a quarter percent. Even though the major indexes look like they're roughly flat, even though they closed near the lows of the day. The, Rus the, the Russell 2000 was very, very weak uh, and tells me we are we're in a correction of some kind. Uh, and the major indexes just need to, to follow uh, the Russell. And it, it's just a matter, I think, of how deep this pullback is going to be. Uh, clearly, the economy is slowing to a degree. Uh, the, a lot of this has to do with the comps, right? You had a good fourth quarter of last year in the economy in the first couple quarters of this year. And we're starting to look at those quarters when we're judging this quarter, right? Third quarter, fourth quarter. And the growth is not as strong. 
And that's what the market wants. The market wants the growth of three and a half, four percent GDP growth to continue, and I just don't think that's going to happen. And that is why you're likely going to continue to see this correction play out. I think through the end of the year. Let's go to Mark in Union City. He wants to talk about a Roth IRA. How you doing, Mark? Uh, hi, 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 Justin. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, if I'm going to start a Roth IRA, and I know I'm kind of late in it, but if, if I had to pick one mutual fund or ETF just to kickstart this thing, uh, what would what would you suggest? Oh God, that's a that's a loaded question. There there's so many things I I, I would need to ask you. You know, are you an aggressive investor? Uh, yeah, are you are you willing to hold through? Investor, yeah, aggressive investor, and I'm thinking about uh, ten or fifteen, maybe even longer horizon. Yes. Well, then I'm. I mean, I'm just going with the S and P. Uh, even though you know we're we're entering a, a correction, you have to be willing to take the the, the downside of the market. Um, and this is going to be a good test of that. Um, so I would dollar cost average, continue to put your money uh, into the S&P as it goes lower. Uh, and that's probably the simplest way I would go without knowing much more about your situation. Uh, but that's the best answer I could give you. I know it's not exciting, but that's all I could give you. Okay, good enough. Thanks for the Thank call, you. Mark. That's, a, that's always a tough question to answer. What should I buy? What's the one fund? Well, uh, there's a lot of factors that go into that. And the main one is anybody's risk tolerance, ability to handle volatility. Because guess what? SP go down 50% easily. Easily. Bear markets are quick. They're sudden. Uh, everyone rushes out. And you know, I, I, I don't like the S&P right now, but that's the best answer I could give. <laughs> Now, tomorrow on Invest Talk, credit freezes, which Brock's. Oh, I can't get to that. I'm sorry. Justin Klein. I'm Justin Klein, and I'm ready to take your question at 888 chart. To win, all effective investors use a process. And listeners call Invest Talk every day asking to share our winning process. And they too can win using the right analytical tools. Just what do we use as our everyday go to research tool? Y Charts. It's a cloud based financial research platform. It is indispensable. YCharts has the powerful tools of a terminal combined with the ease of use of a modern website. We use YCharts every day. YCharts is easy to navigate, visually awesome, and informative. YCharts has filters driven by thousands of metrics, Excel integration, and data visualization to create charts that compare stocks, funds, indices, and more. If you're a serious investor, you'll understand that the precision functionality in YCharts is not free. But YChart has more horsepower and by far better data and filters compared to a giveaway tools from Yahoo or Google. YCharts is a fraction of the cost of something like Bloomberg Terminal. And now our listeners can try YCharts for free. You just heard Steve and Justin endorse YCharts. It's the lightning fast research, data filter, and charting tool they use every day for their investment portfolios. Think about it. Steve is right. Free software cannot come close to the power, speed, ease of use, and practical functionality of YCharts. And serious investors understand that YCharts can pay for itself with just one or two targeted investment selections. So here's your chance to take advantage of a free trial and a generous YCharts discount. Start by mentioning InvestTalk when you go to YCharts.com. Get serious 
Get Y charts. This is Invest Talk. Have you thought about asking Steve or Justin for a no cost and no obligation portfolio review? You should. They can set up a telephone conversation or a Skype consultation. Okay, you've got finance and investment questions, and you can get unbiased answers. Call now, 888-99-CHART. Hi, this is Becky in Kansas City. I had a question about how do you know what is the most important thing to look at in determining a dividend stock? And I don't know if it's more important to look at the yield or if it's more important to look at how much they pay per share. I notice some stocks will say it pays 80 cents a share. So is it important to own a lot of shares so that you can get 80 cents per share? Or what is the yield based on exactly? Thank you. Love your podcast. Bye. All right. Great question and a simple answer. So you always want to look at the yield, uh, the, the number of cents or dollars per share that it pays is uh, only important in relation to what you're paying for the particular stock, right? So if it pays 80 cents a share and it's a $10 stock, that's an 8% yield, right? But if it is a $100 stock and it pays 80 cents a share, that's only a 0.8% yield. So extremely different payouts. Uh, so you want to look at the yield. Uh, but I want to go back to the beginning of your question. You said, what is the most important thing to look at? And the answer to that question is neither of what you talked about. Because is not the number of shares outstanding and not the yield on the particular company. The most important factor that you need to understand is the sustainability of that yield. Is this a company who increases and decreases its dividend regularly? Is it a company whose business is economically sensitive? Is it a business that has a lot of debt on its balance sheet on top of being an economically sensitive company? Is it paying out more in dividends than it can afford based on its cash flows and earnings? That's just a few questions. There are obviously many more. What is management like? What is the strength of their product? What are the industry dynamics, etc.? So to answer your first question, that is what you have to consider, those factors. And you have to determine whether that yield is sustainable. Because an 80 cent per share yield can turn into a 20 cent per share yield or a zero cent per share yield based on what's happening with the business and the economy and the company. So I hope that helped and I hope you find some great dividend stocks. And if you ever need help, you can give our office a call. We have, we can always help you uh, over the phone or by managing your assets for you. 
888-99 chart, 888-992-4278. And that segues into what I want to talk a little bit about is leveraged loans. How are they like and how are they not like junk bonds? And this is an important factor because leveraged loans are flow tend to be floating rate instruments, right? Debt instruments. And they're usually backed by some particular asset. And they're linked to LIBOR, meaning London Interbank Offer Rates, typically. That's what they're linked to. And there's some percentage uh, that they pay over LIBOR. And that can be a good thing for those who own these leveraged loans, right? Or getting that, or getting that yield when interest rates rise. So you don't have to worry about that interest rate risk, right? Because the, your payout is going to go up along with interest rates. There's one caveat though. Just like junk bonds, most, if not all, leveraged loans are issued by companies with subpar investment ratings, meaning sub investment grade. So double B1 from Moody's or double B plus from S&P or lower. And this makes those these loans pretty dicey. Why? Because as interest rates rise, yes, you're getting a higher interest rate. You're getting a higher yield. But who has to pay that? Well, a company that is already levered, a company that is already a balance sheet that is under some level of stress, or a business that is under some level of stress, and that might be the difference between a company staying in business or going out of business, right? If their cost of their interest rises to a certain level. Now, traditionally, banks were the main lenders for these leveraged loans. But now, most of these loans are sold to investors. And many investors are confusing the two leveraged loans and junk bonds. Why? Well, a lot of leveraged loans are looking like junk bonds. Why? Because there's restrictions on them have eased and there's been a trading market that's developed. Bonds tend to settle in a few days, whereas leveraged loan trades take sometimes weeks to settle. Because leveraged loans you are are not governed by the SEC like bonds. They are direct loans from a lender to the borrower. So the rules, they have looser rules, they have covenant light uh, type of structures, meaning the borrower can kind of still do whatever it wants, right? Where covenants tend to limit the borrower into how, how levered up, how much debt they can add to their balance sheet. And what this has done is it has created a market that is extremely risky. As people are reaching for yield, they're afraid of the uh, risk of higher interest rates and, and interest rate risk. They're going into floating rate leveraged loan market or the bank loan market is sometimes called. 
So as interest rates have stayed low, people are putting money into these because they have a little bit higher rate, and they're doing it at ever riskier terms and lower spreads. And this has led the Bank of International Settlements, settlements and other watchdogs to sound the alarm bells over leveraged loans. So while junk bond markets uh, are extremely risky today, leveraged loan markets are just as risky, if not worse. So be careful out there when you're searching for yield and stretching for yield in junk bonds, leveraged loans, bank loans, etc. Now let's get to another caller who took time to leave their question on our anytime listener line at 888-99-CHART. This is Mike in Kentucky. Got a question about bonds, specifically BSJK. It's Bravo, Sierra, Juliet, Kilo. It's an Invesco bullet share. Currently it's about 2436. That's a 2020 uh, expiration. I'd like to have a little summary of the risks and benefits, but but more specifically, the specifics of when the time period ends. If I bought it now, it would be about 24.36, paying a dividend around four, uh, four to five. I know it's a junkie-type bond. But when the time period comes, what's going to be the payout for that share? Is it going to be 25 even? I cannot figure that out from when I read this stuff. Appreciate your answer, and I'll listen to you on the radio. Love your podcast. Love your help. I love your caring and concern. You take care, guys. All right. He's looking at the Invesco Bullet Shares 2020 High Yield Corporate Bond ETF. And that's what he's looking at. He's not looking at a particular bond. He's looking at a bond fund, a bond ETF, exchange traded fund. And what the bullet shares are, it's a very innovative and I think a pretty solid idea. Uh, one of the problems we have with bond funds is that there's no defined maturity date, so there's always a consistent amount of interest rate risk that you are going to expose yourself to, and that's why we like to ladder bonds out for our clients, right? Well, this is basically a bond ladder with maturities only in 2020, meaning all the bonds in the portfolio are going to mature sometime in 2020. I believe that's how it's supposed to work. I haven't read the prospectus or anything like that, but that's the general idea of this. And it does yield about 5%. It's a 30-day, or its SEC yield is about 5.08%. Trailing 12 months, 4.5%. Uh, kind of depends on how you're measuring it. But 45 to 5%. Now, I'm not sure exactly what you would get back, but I would believe you're going to get $25 a share back when this matures. And I don't know if that's the beginning of 2020, the end of 2020. Right now, it's at trading at $24.35 a share today. Now, that is if any none of these bonds default, right? Because that's going to affect the NAV of the fund, the amount of assets are that are returned once the bonds mature, right? Because the whole idea of it of any bond ladder is that when you hit maturity date, you're going to get paid back your principal. That's how bonds work. You give, you invest ten thousand dollars. You get your, uh, your, your interest payment on a regular basis. And once the maturity date comes, you get that ten thousand dollars back, that par back. And this is a high yield bond fund, so there's a risk that some of these companies might go bankrupt, and you might not get the full 
$100 par value of the bonds uh, when they mature. I don't know how many they own. I'm trying to take a look at what they are. Oh, here we go. Top holding is RJ Reynolds, Sitco, Bosch Healthcare, Tenant Healthcare, EMC Group, etc. So some pretty reputable names, but certainly on the junky side of the ledger. So the risks are twofold. Not a lot of interest rate risk because you're only going two years out, but certainly there are some credit risk there with the names within the portfolio. Uh, however, it's pretty diversified, so I wouldn't say there's a ton of risk on that side because of the diversity. But don't expect that full $25 back because some of them might go bankrupt. I'm Justin Klein, and you're listening to Invest Talk. There are some simple rules for success that every regular Invest Talk listener has heard Steve and I talk about many times. Now, rule number one is always diversity, and you want to limit your investment in any one stock to 3% and certainly not more than 5% of your overall portfolio. Another rule, do not make emotional decisions. Fear and greed will harm you. Number three, do not try to time the market. It's difficult. It's, it's very hard to do, especially for the novice investor. Now, Best Talk promises a commitment to reason and common sense guidance, and that can help make you a better investor. The more you listen, the more you learn. Now, the phone lines are open, and the program is always made better by your questions. So please call now at 888-99-CHART. This is InvestTalk, made possible by KPP Financial, where each Friday, subscribers to the KPP Premium Newsletter receive a concise and highly informative summary of the week's financial and investment news, sent directly to their inbox. It really does give you a week that was roundup in a quick read. It also offers a look ahead and various process and term explanations that will be interesting to every investor. So you should be thinking about subscribing. You'll get targeted value formatted for fast consumption when you become a KPP Premium Newsletter subscriber at investtalk.com. The InvestTalk Radio and Podcast continues now. The phone lines are open. Call with your questions. 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Vitaly in Atlanta. He wants to talk about Newell brands. Yes. Um, so I wanted to find out because I've, I've owned this stock for quite some time, and I feel like it's a good company, and I don't know if you would consider blue chip or not, uh, but I've been holding it for quite some time, and it just keeps dropping and dropping. Just want to get your opinion on it. Well, Newell Brands is the maker of Tupperware, Correct. Uh, yes. Yep. So they've had been in a tough time. Uh, revenues are down 13% year over year. Earnings are down 37% year over year. This year, earnings are supposed to be up 23% from last year, but down 7% next year to $2.30 a share. Yields about 4.5%. Let's look a little deeper at its numbers. Its payout ratio is 21%. But its cash dividend pay ratio is 135%, meaning they don't have the cash flow to support this particular dividend, at least for the long term. They need to turn things around. Operating earnings yield is about 10%, which is attractive. Its return on assets is 6%, return on equity 15%, which is solid. But they do have a good amount of debt. Uh, enterprise value of about $17.8 billion and market cap of $9.6 billion. So they have about... 
$8 billion of debt on their balance sheet. And that is, I think, the biggest issue here is that level of debt. Its enterprise value to EBITDA is 11, which to me is still relatively expensive. Uh, so I, I don't like Newell Brands here. I still think it's expensive uh, from that perspective. It's it's not cheap. Or, I mean, it's not super expensive. It's cheap from some metrics, but I don't like that level of debt. I don't like the trajectory of the business. And I would keep my eye on it because it does have a good long-term profitability track record. Uh, but I would, and but technically it's weak. And I would sit it, sit it out for now, but keep it on your watch list until they turn things around. Thanks for the call, Vitaly. Time is moving fast, and today's Invest Talk program is almost over. But we still have got about 10 minutes left, so let's talk about the finance and investment questions that are on your mind. 99 chart. On the next Invest Talk, freezing your credit is now free. That story tomorrow. But now, Justin's here, ready with answers, and he's waiting for your calls. 888 99 Chart. Hi, Stephen Justin. First of all, thanks for the show. I love it. I have some investments here in the US. I try to invest in the stock market. And uh, I also have some investments in Brazil. I know it's not a good time for us, but I wonder if I should keep investing in Brazil or if I should focus on here in the U.S. Yeah, that's my question because I'd like to keep the balance between both of them because I think it's maybe it's a good strategy for my investments. I'm looking forward for your answer. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Well, I, I do like that you have uh, a balance, and Brazil has a lot of potential as, as an economy uh, long term. Uh, the biggest issue is just political. Uh, they continue to have political problems there, and uh, in, in conjunction, economic problems that are really reducing the potential of, or allowing them to not re reach their potential of their uh, the country. Now, emerging markets in general have been weak, uh, and Brazil is no no different. Uh, it's not as bad as China has, has done, but they're certainly getting dragged down with it uh, in the political crisis there as well. I like to buy when things are troubled, um, so I still think you should be investing there uh, and keeping that balance. Don't get, don't chase, right? And and a lot of people will do that, right? The, the their poor investments, they dump when things are looking terrible, and usually that's the best time to be adding to your position. And they allocate to, say, a, a a market like America that's been doing relatively better, and the time when that's not really the best time to be uh, investing from a long-term valuation standpoint. So I would continue your investment in Brazil. Uh, it's, I believe you're Brazilian, it sounds like. And you might know the market. You have access there. Uh, and you can make better decisions than probably uh, most other investors. So I would continue to invest in Brazil. Let's talk a little about the sidecar plan that could soon be attached to your 401k. And I think this is a fantastic idea. Uh, most financial advisors, economists, will say that 
there is an emergency savings crisis in America. And getting more Americans to save for emergencies, especially low and middle income earners, can be a huge leg up in securing their financial future. In the past year, 48% of U.S. households faced at least one unexpected expense related to an emergency. And Prudential Financial says 69% of Americans have less than $1,000 in a savings account. But there could be some help. A growing number of employers, benefit plan sponsors, policy analysts, and members of Congress are taking steps to correct this problem. And their goal is to introduce a new type of emergency savings plans for workers that is offered by an employer, just like your 401k. And I think it's a fantastic idea. Why? Because if an employer employee is under financial stress, their pro productivity and focus tends to drop. And so this is a big benefit if the employers can help set up a plan that will give or create an emergency fund similar to a 401k but for short term right 401k is long term emergency funds are for short term because you need that money in case of emergencies now most of the time people are tapping their 401k which is going to limit their long term uh, financial success right they're taking a loan out or just taking money out in general from their IRA or 401k or they're taking payday loans Prudential said 12 million Americans take out payday loans annually, incurring $9 million in fees. And Americans are embracing this idea, especially if the employer is going to match contributions like they do in a 401k. So there is a bipartisan Senate bill called the Strengthening Financial Security Through Short-Term Savings Accounts Act of 2018. And I think this would be great if it goes through. So. I would call your local congressman, support this, because we need to find more ways to automatically create an emergency savings plan for Americans. I'm Justin Klein, and that completes another Invest Talk program. Today, we welcome YCharts as an Invest Talk sponsor. Podcast listeners will hear Steve and I endorse YCharts because we find it to be a valuable research data filter and charting tool. In fact, we use YCharts every day when we manage client assets, and you can too. So to learn more, just go to whitecharts.com. Steve will be here tomorrow, and I will return Wednesday because Steve will be in San Jose meeting with Invest Talk listeners. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, Call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. 
and they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listening line at 888-99-CHART. 888-99-7283.